0: This Parsha Podcast is dedicated in honor of my dear friends and longtime supporters of Torch, Dove, and Ricky Eisner, on the occasion of the birth of a brand new grandson, Mordechai Noam. They're calling him Noah. On behalf of the entire Parsha Podcast family, we wish them a hearty Mazel Tov, as well as to the parents, Avi and Alana Glazer. May Noah. Grow up to be someone who makes his parents, his grandparents, the entire Jewish people, and of course, the Almighty proud. It's the first day of August when I'm recording this, and August is Torch Podcast Improvement Month. We have a lot of podcasts here at Torch, and we're always trying to get a little bit better. And we thought of all sorts of ideas, and we had some brainstorming sessions, And we're really trying to improve, to hone, to sharpen, to make our offerings better. And you can help. We actually created a survey, a torch survey, where we reach out to the audience and we want suggestions in a whole variety of areas. We want your feedback, for how we can improve the podcast. Of course, you're listening to the Parsha podcast, but besides for the Parsha podcast, we have all sorts of other podcasts here at Torch. A whole slew, a bevy of podcasts from the great team of Torch, and we want to know what we can do to improve them and to better serve you. Now, if you're like me, you're like, "Oh no, they want me to fill out a survey." It's like Verizon, AT and T. T-Mobile, please fill out a survey. You go to CVS, and they want you to fill out a survey. Everyone wants you to fill out surveys. But this is not like other surveys. First of all, we spent a lot of time thinking about all sorts of questions from, from different angles, unique and interesting questions, surprising questions, for how we can improve the podcast. And I think it's worthwhile, even if you're not going to fill out the survey, at least take a look at it. So in the description of this podcast, you're going to find a link to the survey. If you don't want to go to the description of the podcast, you could just go to torchsurvey.com and take a look. I, I would estimate it's going to take around five minutes or so to fill it out. You don't have to fill it out if you don't want, you know, most of the questions that we have, most of the 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 uh, subjects that we treat on the survey are not required. You know, it doesn't have that that red star that makes you fill it out. So you can fill out, look at it. Don't fill it out. That's also okay. But we're trying to improve, and if you can help us, that would be wonderful. I will say, everyone who is going to enter an entry, all the respondents, the survey, they're going to enter a raffle for a very special prize. Now you know, I don't say very. Or special lightly. When I say a very special prize, this is going to be a very special prize. So visit Torch Survey or click the link in the description to see the survey and maybe even fill it out. It's free, but it helps us a lot. Now, I will say we had some of those brainstorming sessions and I threw out a suggestion that I have to say not all my colleagues loved. I had an idea. I said, you know, we have, we have listeners to the podcast and they enjoy it and they appreciate it and they find it interesting and educational and insightful and entertaining. And they, and they want to share it with a friend. But how, how do you share a podcast with your friend? What do you, you take their phone and you plug it into their Apple podcast and you sign them up or you, you send them the link on, on, on Spotify. How, how do you actually share it? There's like not really a natural way to share it. So, I had an idea. What if we created like a business card? And maybe on one side of the business card, it has like the logo of the podcast, maybe a brief description. And on the back would have, let's say, a link or or a QR code where you just put your phone in it, and right away it populates with the, you know, the Apple podcasts. uh, The the information just goes right to to the podcast. And I said to the colleagues, to my colleagues at the Torch meeting, I said, what if we like printed, you know, 500 business cards for every podcast, just as a trial run? It's not so expensive. It won't cost so much money. And then we share these business cards with the audience and the audience has an easy way to become like a podcast ambassador. Hey, I have this great podcast. It's the Parsha podcast. It's wonderful. It's interesting. It's insightful. Why don't you listen? And you know what? Here, here's my card. Here's the Parsha podcast card. And that way, people can be like walking ambassadors. You know, if you enjoy it, you want to find like an easy, seamless way to be able to share it. That was my idea. And uh, my colleague Rabbi Busko, the average rabbi as he's known, he says that that's that's a terrible idea. That's an awful idea. That's a how how could you come up with such a pathetic idea? Maybe it's the worst idea possible. So I said to Rabbi Busko. Average rabbi. Challenge accepted. This is a terrible idea. I'm going to get I'm going to get the Parsha podcast groupies to prove you wrong. So let's prove them wrong. If you would be interested in a Parsha podcast business card maybe you share it with a friend who could maybe join our audience who would be potentially interested who maybe would find this helpful. I'll mail it to you for free. I'll mail you some Business cards. And you know what? Maybe Rabbi Busto is right. Maybe this is a below average idea. But the good thing about inexpensive bad ideas is that it doesn't really hurt so much to test it. Let's experiment. Test it out. Very little downside. But the overall picture is that this is August and we're trying to improve and maybe you can help us as well to improve our offerings to grow the audience and to hopefully make a bigger impact on behalf of the Almighty and the Jewish nation, as is our mission. There is a mitzvah that appears in our parsha. It also appears in last week's parsha. It's a mitzvah that you have likely seen today. And it's a mitzvah that we rarely talk about. And that is the mezuzah. We all know what a mezuzah is. It's perhaps the most visible Jewish mitzvah, Jewish homes. You could spot them from the outside. Do they have a scroll hanging on their doorpost? Every Jewish home has a mezuzah affixed on its front door, hopefully on the inner doors as well. And this is something that we're very proud of, and it kind of identifies us. And as small children, we were trained you see him mezuzah, You pass him mezuzah. Every time you enter a doorpost, you touch the mezuzah. You kiss the mezuzah. When you inaugurate a new home, a new establishment, a new office, you affix the mezuzah. And typically, the the scroll will have some decorative case, and it's going to be often embellished with the letter shin. If you remove the case, you're going to find a tightly rolled up scroll. It's going to be handwritten with a special quill by a special scribe. And in it, you'll find only like one column. And you're going to find two paragraphs from the Torah. One from last week's parasha, Devarim chapter 6, and one from this week's parasha, Devarim chapter Eleven, Deuteronomy eleven, and both of these paragraphs contain the verse. Utsav tam, you should write these words, namely the words of these paragraphs, on the doorposts of your home and your gateways. Now, if you were to examine these verses, you'll find that this was not just an arbitrary selection of some verses in the Torah. You know, if you had to select. Let's pick some paragraphs at random to affix to our doorpost. These are not randomly selected. You read these verses, and they talk about the Shema. Hashem is our God. Hashem is one. We have to love Hashem our God. Of course, our religious and spiritual life is really divided up into two parts, love of God and fear of God. The relationship that we have with him as children have to a parent, and as servants have to a master. That mitzvah, to love Hashem our God, it's featured in the Shema, in the Mezuzah. To love Hashem our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, to be dedicated to God completely, with all our resources, the study of Torah, the perpetuation of Torah to our children, the imperative to teach Torah, to speak Torah in our homes, when we travel, when we go to sleep, when we wake up, of course, our nation has been obsessed with Torah ever since we got started. In fact, the formation of the nation was the Sinai revelation when we got to Torah. And we've been obsessed with it. And the mitzvah to be obsessed with it is featured in the Shema, in the mezuzah. And we're supposed to tie this as a sign upon our arm and as tefillin upon our heads and inscribe them in a scroll and place that on our doorposts. That was last week's parsha, the, the paragraph from Devarim, chapter six, that's featured in the Ziza And then in our parsha we read about the imperative to adhere to the mitzvos of the Almighty, to love God again, we see that, to serve God with all our hearts, with all our souls. And then we get the promise that if we listen to God and we obey and adhere, we'll have prosperity and we'll have stability and health and we'll be satiated. But God forbid if we abandon God and we deviate away from the path that he presents for us, he'll get angry at us and we'll lose the prosperity and we'll be destroyed or banished from the land. And it's so important for us to remember that we have to tie it as a sign upon our arms. And to Tophos and trillin upon our head. And we have to teach it to our children. And they should speak uh, the words of Torah and these words in their homes, when they travel, when they go to sleep, when they wake up. And we should write it on our doorposts of our dates, the mezuzah. And then the final verse. In order that your days and the days of your children will increase upon the land that the Almighty promised to give to our forefathers, like the days of the heaven upon the earth. These are very powerful verses. A Very short piece. You fit it in one, one little scroll. And this is our pledge of allegiance to God. And it's almost a digest, an encapsulation of what we believe, what we stand for, what makes our nation unique. We take it and we write it down. And we affixed it to our doorpost. So everyone knows. Everyone knows what we stand for. Everyone knows what we represent. That's the mitzvah of mezuzah. Now it's interesting. The mezuzah has a very interesting distinction. There is one quality that we find in this mitzvah that it shares with no other mitzvah. And it's kind of surprising. You know, we have 613 mitzvot. Many of them, of course, we cannot fulfill because we don't have a temple and we don't have a lot of the normative institutions of Jewish life. But the ones that we can fulfill today are codified in the book of Jewish law known as the Shulchan Aruch, the set table. And in... This book, it's really four distinct sections, Aruch Haim, Yerodeh, Ebenezer, and Choshe Mishpat, and each is comprised of hundreds of chapters, it's probably more than a thousand chapters, that delineate and organize and present for us what we need to do to live as Jews and be compliant with all the laws. In this entire corpus of Jewish law, there is exactly one chapter whose title is about the reward for a given mitzvah. And that mitzvah is the mezuzah. There's a chapter, chapter 285 in Yorodeah, which is one of the four sections. And the subject of that chapter is the merit, is the reward for the mitzvah of mezuzah. And again, this is completely unique. We have hundreds of mitzvahs and only one of them were told the reward. Isn't that intriguing? Doesn't that pique our curiosity? And it's kind of short. I'll read you the important parts uh, that are relevant to our discussion. There is a mitzvah to write the Shema, which is the paragraph from last week's parsha, and Vahayim Shema, which is the paragraph from this week's parsha, and to affix them and to install them on the mezuzah, on the doorpost of rooms and homes. li zaher ba' me'od. And you have to be very careful, meticulous, and fastidious about this mitzvah. V'chol ha'zahir ba' This is the text of the Code of Jewish Law. And anyone who's careful, who's meticulous, who's scrupulous about this mitzvah, Yaarichu yamav, his days will be lengthened. Vime banav, and the days of his children will be lengthened. But vimeino zahirba, if someone is not careful, meticulous, fastidious about this mitzvah, then those days will not be lengthened. Instead, yiskatsru, they will be shortened. There's a chapter in the book of laws of the Torah that are pertinent today. And the focus of the chapter is the reward for the mitzvah mezuzah, that ubiquitous mitzvah that we see at every Jewish door. And it tells us that this is the longevity mitzvah. You want a long life for you, for your children? What's the way to do it? What's the Torah's prescription for longevity? It's mezuzah. And you know, if you were to shrink a mezuzah, it kind of looks like a pill. It's kind of shaped like a pill. It's tubular. It's cylindrical. Even though, of course, it's not designed for ingesting. But it's, it's a pill. Effectively. It's a longevity pill. Everyone's looking for that elixir of life. Everyone wants that panacea. And it turns out it's not Lipitor. It's not Wegovi or Ozempic. Everyone is eager to find the miracle drug. It turns out, the longevity pill, it's not even swallowed. It's not ingested. It's not injected. It's a mezuzah. That pill that you affix on your doorpost. We may pass a mezuzah dozens of times a day. And most of us, well, I shouldn't speak for you. I, I don't think twice about it. And this is the only mitzvah that its reward is accorded a dedicated chapter in the code of law. And that reward is what we all want, a long life. And by the way, the opposite is true. Lack of fastidiousness in this mitzvah, God forbid, shortens life. As such, Our curiosity and our interest in this mitzvah should be heightened. We have to examine this mitzvah. We have to accord this mitzvah some scrutiny. What is happening in that pill? What is happening in that scroll that we affix to our doorpost? Why is it the longevity pill? Why is this? Mitzvah, why is it conducive to having a long and productive life for you, for your children? And also, how do we get the most out of this? What are the interactions, if you will, the pharmacological interactions of this pill? What do we need to do to make sure that we actually benefit from the life-extending benefits of this mitzvah? Now, I will tell you that the idea of mezuzah providing protection, it's found all over the literature. You open up the literature, everywhere it talks about the mezuzah, it highlights the fact that it serves as a protection, protection against harm, all sorts of harm. For example, there is the iconic teaching, a story really in the Talmud, about Unculus. Unculus wrote the sanctioned, authoritative translation of the Torah, And he was a convert. He came from the Romans and joined the Jewish nation. And he was part of the elite, the aristocracy of Rome. And according to our tradition, his uncle was the Roman emperor, which emperor, either Titus, maybe Hadrian or Nero, regardless, none of them were very fond of the Jews. Maybe that's... An understatement. But Onkelos converts. And not only that, he becomes one of the sages. And he is commissioned to write a translation of the Torah into Aramaic. And you open up any Chumash today, any Torah, and you'll see in the inner margins of the page the translation of Unculus. And the Talmud tells us that his uncle, he was not happy that his nephew converted and joined the Jews. So he sent some Roman soldiers to go retrieve him. And he sent one cohort and Uncleus engaged them in conversation. And they said, you know what, Unculus, we're with you. We're converting. And they don't show up back in Rome. So he sends a second cohort and he warns them, be careful, he's very persuasive. And he persuades them as well. And he sends a third cohort and he says to them, listen, Unculus, my nephew, he's dangerous. Be careful because he will persuade you to convert. Don't let him say a word. So they didn't even accept his overtures to have conversation, to have some sort of polemics, and they grab him, and on the way out, he stops by the mezuzah, and he places his hand upon it. And they said, okay, we're not, we're not going to engage in conversation, but, but what's this? And Unculus responds, he tells them, a human king is always inside. And the servants and the guards are outside. But the Almighty has a different system. The servants are inside. And the Almighty, as represented by this mezuzah on the outside of the house, he stands guard, he stands as a sentry, so to speak, outside the house, protecting those who are inside. And it quotes a verse, God will protect you. And when they heard that, they too converted. When the Caesar realized he was 0 for 3, he gave up on trying to bring back Unculus. But we see here a description of the power of Mezuzah. We don't know the details of what Unculus told him, but the general principle is that a Mezuzah is protection. It's God, so to speak, being outside of our homes. We're inside, and what is this force field around us that protects us? That's the mezuzah, and it's the Almighty, so to speak, out there, preventing, swatting away any danger. We have a home security system. It's the mezuzah. The verse tells us in our parsha, you write the mezuzah on your door, and the following verse tells us, You'll have a long life. And those are connected. Why are you going to have a long life? How will you avoid all the dangers? Thanks to Mezuzah. And the Zohar tells us, in a door that you find a Mezuzah, there won't be any nefarious spiritual forces no demons, no satans, no harmful influences, because God's so to speak, is protecting. And even if there is chaos, there is a maelstrom, there is a force, a terror that's being unleashed outside, and the angel of death is romping around, reaching havoc, causing chaos, the destroyed angel sees the name of God. And gets frozen in its tracks and must avoid this home. And of course, there is an early precedent to this. The Jewish people, the first night of our nationhood, or at least one of the stages of our nationhood, was the night of the Exodus. The Almighty was sweeping through Egypt, killing every firstborn, but leaping over, passing over, Passover, jumping over the homes of the Jewish nation. Why? What was our protection? We had the blood of the paschal offering smeared on the doorpost, on the mezuzah, and that is what spared us. With our mezuzah, we are granted a similar level of protection, but even a higher level of protection. The Midrash points out that this protection in Egypt, the blood of the doorpost, that was only temporary protection but the mezuzah provides that degree of protection in a permanent fashion. The letters of mezuzah, or the way it's spelled in the Torah, mezuzos, our tells tell us, can be re-scrambled as zuz Mavis. move away, banish death. So we see here, there are many, many sources that highlight the fact that the mezuzah provides protection, Provides us safety. It's the Almighty standing guard, and it will ensure that we have a long life. And it provides protection against physical and spiritual harm. This is the elixir of life. This is the longevity pill. And the question is why? What is this secret of the mezuzah? Why does it have such power to save us from danger? So perhaps we can suggest an idea, and certainly there are other ideas about the power and the essence, really, of this mitzvah. But this is certainly one that is a valid and useful framework to understand this mitzvah and to understand what we need to do to unlock its prophylactic and protectionary powers. When you affix a mezuzah, on your doorpost. You say a blessing, and the words that you use are to fits, to install a mezuzah. So if you were to kind of look at the lifespan of a mezuzah, you buy a home, and you want to move in, and you put the mezuzah on, and the mezuzah stays there, you know, for 50 years. And of course, you're supposed to check them periodically to make sure that they are still kosher, none of the letters got shipped, and none of the letters got worn out, and none of the letters got damage, etc. Et but the mezuzah is kind of there. It's, it's there for a very long time. When you move, maybe you take it with you, maybe you sell it to the incoming person. But when is the mitzvah? When do you fulfill the mitzvah? In the lifespan of a mezuzah? when is the mitzvah fulfilled? So we would say, well, the blessing is to a fits. Mezuzah. so you f- you fulfill the mitzvah when when you put it up initially and, and yes it provides per- protection throughout those fifty years but the fulfillment of the mitzvah, the, the point so to speak where you are fulfilling the mitzvah is when you place it upon your doorstep. When we look at Rambam, we find something a little bit deeper. He instructs us of how we're supposed to interact. With the mezuzah, not just when we install it, not just when we initially affix it to our doorpost, but on a regular, ongoing basis. He tells us, this is in his laws of mezuzah, a person has to be careful and fastidious in this mitzvah of mezuzah. Every time you enter, every time you exit a room, you have an encounter, you have a communion, you have one on one with the oneness of God. The mezuzah starts off God is one. And when you pass the mezuzah, you're having a touch point with the oneness of God. And the next verse talks about the love of God. Continues the rambam. When you pass the mezuzah, you remember you recall the obligation and the imperative and the value of love of God. And this, continues Rambam, wakes you up from your slumber. And it shakes you awake from all the petty foolishness and the futility of time. And every time you pass the mezuzah, you know that the only thing that's truly Permanent? The only thing that truly endures forever? The only true existence in the world that's not a relative existence, but it's an absolute existence? It's only God. In our life... We go astray. We focus on other things. We have responsibilities. We have an agenda. We have our career and our family and the news and politics and all sorts of other things that are trying to compete for our attention. But when we pass him we're supposed to be grounded. Remember the oneness of God. Remember the love of God, and wake up from your slumber, where we're spiritually asleep. And we have to remember that there's only one thing that really matters, only one thing that really exists, only one permanent existence, and that's God. And right away, continues Rambam, you'll be restored to your senses, and you will start to walk in the straight paths. And he quotes the Talmud, whoever has a tefillin on their head and on their arm and tzitzit on their garments and a mezuzah on their door, they have so many protections against sin, so many prophylactics, so many reminders against sins. It's like angels protecting you from making mistakes. Ramam is telling us something very powerful. Yes, you install the mezuzah once, maybe you take it down on occasion to inspect it. But when it's on your door, it's not supposed to be there just as a bystander. Just as, you know, part of the furniture, a fixture on your doorpost, you have to use it. Every time you pass it, this is the words of the rambam. You walk in, you walk out. How many times a day do we walk through entrances? I don't know, dozens of times. And every single time we walk through a transitional space, we have an opportunity to change our lives and to wake up from our slumber and to remember the one the oneness of god and the love of god and the absolute existence of god it's a signpost it's a reminder it's an alarm clock to wake you up from your spiritual slumber the ram is telling us something very terrifying we're asleep We're not operating at peak capacity all the time. And of course, we know the Almighty and the whole spiritual realm, that's all invisible to us. We cannot connect to the spiritual using our physical senses. The world is designed to obscure God. In fact, The Hebrew word for the word world is olam, which means to obscure something. The essence of the world is it's a veneer. It's a mask that covers, that conceals, that obfuscates the spiritual and, of course, God. It's our soul. We can't see it. The mitzvos don't seem to register in a tangible way. Whereas all the physical things those things we can connect with. Those things are are, are things that we connect to on a sens- sensual, sensory level. And our mission is to try to wake up, so to speak, to wake up that spiritual reality, that eternal reality that we have within us, our soul, and to make that dominant. But but, but it's sleeping. We're, we're, we're asleep. Our souls ignore the mitzvot. They seem like nice ideas. And yeah, of course, there's benefit. We believe, of course but that's much more secondary and tertiary to the physical world. And we have mitzvot that that are there to remind us. We know this, of course, intellectually, but it's an abstract idea. And you can know something and not really live by it on a day-to-day basis. So we have mitzvot that are signposts, that are milestones, that are mile markers, that are alarm clocks to shake us awake. And to remind us what we're here for. To wake us up from our existential slumber. And our mission is written down on a scroll. And it's rolled up nice and tight, placed in a case and placed upon our door. And on a similar level, we literally bind it to our heart and to our head. Well, opposite our heart, if we're going to say the word literal. Literally, it's on our arm and on our head, but it's opposite our heart. This is there to remind us who we are and what we're here to do and what our mission here in life is. And we're going to lapse into a reverie, into a spiritual slumber. And every time we pass the door, we can snap out of it. We could jar ourselves awake. Our, our daydream can be punctured by the mezuzah. We swallow the pill, the longevity pill. And we remember what we're here for. Now, This experience is, is transformative. How many times do you pass a mezuzah every day? If you just... Think about it for one second, for one minute. Cumulatively a day. It's almost a guarantee the Talmud tells us he'll ever sin. A sin is only the result of someone who is asleep, who forgets the balance, so to speak, the appropriate balance of what we should emphasize, what should we, we should prioritize, what our value system should really be, and what is a distraction. What is temporary? What is ephemeral? What's real? If you're asleep... You can make all sorts of mistakes. But if you wake up and you really, truly realize what life's all about and how precious your time here is and how valuable every mitzvah is, you're not likely to engage in spiritual self-harm. You're not likely to imperil your mission in life. Now, it's really interesting that Rambam is talking about mezuzah But there's one other place in his vast corpus of writing where he employs almost identical verbiage, as is the case by mezuzah, and that is the shofar. In the Laws of Repentance, Chapter 3, Law Number 4, he says that even though, of course, it's a mitzvah for us to blow the shofar because that's what mitzvahs are, we don't really know why we have mitzvahs, Nevertheless, there's a powerful message. Wake up. Those who are asleep from your sleep. Those who are slumbering from your slumber. Inspect your ways. Return. Repent. Remember your creator. And he tells us people are asleep. And they forget with the futility of time, using almost the identical verbiage, same words. The objective of the shofar is to wake you up. And the is telling us that the mezuzah, it's the same thing. When you pass a mezuzah, that has the same power as the chauffeur does in evoking a feeling of what we're really here to do. The, the hallowed sounds of the chauffeur on Rosh Hashanah are very powerful. And if we adopt the Rambam's prescription of how to take this pill to actually stop and think, of what does it say inside there? It says the oneness of God and to love God and the importance of Torah study, et cetera. And the imperative to follow the mitzvot and to make sure that we are compliant and to serve God, etc. Remember what we're here to do. Remember your soul. Remember your mortality. Remember your mission. Remember to make sure that you're on the path that is beneficial for your soul. Every day, we have the opportunity to have almost like a chauffeur, like Rosh Hashanah-like experience. We hear the chauffeur every time we pass through a doorpost. So the mezuzah, of course, we have fixed it once, we say the blessing once, and then we can forget about it. But someone who has this awareness of of, of trying to actually understand this mitzvah, that's going to be very beneficial for them to really keep track of what we're here to do. And they're going to become a very productive member of society. And they're going to become real contributors, not just to their own spiritual advancement, but to the spiritual advancement of everyone around them, God's agenda will be their agenda. And the Almighty says, okay, if you're on my team, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to guard you, I'm going to ensure that no dangers can penetrate your orbit. You will be around for a very long time. With this perspective, we see that the mezuzah, this ubiquitous fixture in our homes it's not just a one time mitzvah to get over and be done with there is an imperative to focus on its message to understand what it is trying to convey to us we all want a long life we all want a productive life for us, for our children and here we see a way we see the Torah's pres- prescription. The Torah tells us there's a longevity pill and I want to give it to you. And yes, of course, with Mishra, that it's a kosher, it's a, and periodically we need to check it to inspect sure it's still kosher. But the Ramam is showing us a way to utilize this mitzvah in a way that really is transformative. Can we expect ourselves, every time we're running in and out, to think about the mezuzah, what it implies and what it represents? It's maybe hard for us to expect that. There is a tradition to stop and to touch the mezuzah, to kiss the mezuzah. That is a tradition which is designed to help us think about it as well. But if we ruminate upon mezuzah for, I don't know, once a day, once a week, that will change our lives. And remember, there's only one mitzvah that we're told a dedicated chapter of its reward. Don't forget that. The words in the Torah. Write these words and place them on your doorpost and you have a long life. It's a promise. Let us deploy it as your physician. Well, I'm not a physician, but I may be a spiritual physician or just someone who can read the text of the Torah and what our teachers are telling us, this is a very, very productive and beneficial mitzvah for us to be careful in, for us to be meticulous in. The mezuzah and what it represents can change our lives. Okay, let's end the podcast with a question. In our part, shall we read about Moshe's retelling of how he came down from Sinai And he had the luchos. He had the tablets. And when he saw the golden calf, he grabbed the tablets, and he threw them down, and he shattered them before the eyes of all of Israel. Moshe, we know this is one of the most iconic events, scenes perhaps in the Torah. Moshe takes the luchos, the tablets that are etched with the finger of God, the Ten Commandments, and he shatters them. And here's the question. There is a prohibition against destroying any articles that have the writings of God or or Torah upon them. We're going to read about this uh, next week's parasha, chapter 12. Beginning of chapter 12, it tells us that when we get to the land of Israel, land of Canaan, we have to destroy all the religious articles of the pagans, of the idolaters. We have to shatter their altars and smash their monuments and burn their idolatrous trees, etc., etc. And the verse says, the verse continues, 12-4, But we cannot do this to Hashem our God. And this is a prohibition barring us, prohibiting us from destroying any articles with Torah writing, which is why if you have, let's say, a Torah book or a mezuzah or whatever, and it becomes invalid, you must bury it. You cannot destroy it. If so, how was Moshe allowed to shatter the tablets that had the words of Torah, had the Ten Commandments etched upon them? What an interesting question. So perhaps there are a bunch of ideas. Maybe you could say, well, it was etched inside. So it was almost like the absence. It was letters uh, written by omission, not commission. The Talmud does say that Moshe treated the nation like a sota, like a suspected adulteress. He ground up the 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 golden calf and sprinkled it into the water and then they to drink it and those who participated died. And we know that that's the one exception. You're allowed to erase the name of God for the sake of peace. So maybe that's Moshe's justification. Alternatively, the sources tell us that when Moshe encountered the nation doing this in the golden calf, the letters that were etched into the stones They fluttered up to heaven. It's just not compatible with this nation. And that's why those stones were told, because they lost those letters, they became heavy boulders, and those letters had kind of created a spiritual effect to lighten those stones, and Moshe just dropped them. So maybe if they don't have currently the letters of the Torah etched upon them, maybe that was his justification. But regardless, it's an interesting question. Moshe is doing something which apparently violates the Torah. An interesting question to ruminate upon in this edition of the Parsha Podcast. I want to remind you we have a survey ongoing the month of August, TorchSurvey.com. The link is in the description. We have business cards to share the Parsha Podcast. It's a terrible idea in the eyes of the average rabbi. But let me know if you want me to ship some to you. Anyhow, have a wonderful rest of your day a splendid, spectacular rest of your week and an uplifting, invigorating Shabbos upcoming. And please, God, with the help of the Almighty, we will talk again next week. My email address is rabbiwolby at gmail.com.